Translation. Just as a person traveling on the road rests one foot on the ground and then lifts the other, or as a worm on a vegetable transfers itself from one leaf and then gives up the previous one, the conditioned soul takes shelter of another body and then gives up the one he had before. So I can say, you can repeat, just as a person traveling on the road rests one foot on the ground and then lifts the other, or as a worm on a vegetable transfers itself to one leaf and then gives up the previous one, the conditioned soul takes shelter of another body and then gives up the one he had before. Purport by His Divine Grace, Srila A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami, Srila Prabhupada. This is the process of the soul's transmigration from one body to another. At the time of death, according to his mental condition, the living being is carried by the subtle body consisting of mind, intelligence, and ego <clears throat> to another gross body. When higher authorities have decided what kind of gross body the living entity will have, he is forced to enter such a body, and thus he will automatically, uh, and thus he automatically gives up his previous body. Does anybody know who those higher authorities are? Yama Raj. He's he's the higher authority. So, um, so at that time, once Yamaraj decided the, his, his, the fate of the living entity, the new body, he is forced to enter such a body, and thus he automatically gives up his previous body. Dull-minded persons who do not have the intelligence to understand this process of transmigration take for granted that when the gross body is finished, one's life is finished forever. Such persons have no brains with which to understand the process of transmigration. At the present moment, there is great opposition to the Hare Krishna movement, which is being called a brainwashing movement. But actually, the so-called scientists, philosophers, and others, and other leaders in the Western countries have no brains at all. <laughs> the Hare Krishna movement is trying to elevate such foolish persons by enlightening their intelligence so that they will take advantage of the human body. Unfortunately, because of gross ignorance, they regard the Hare Krishna movement as a brainwashing movement. They do not know that without God consciousness, one is forced to continue transmigrating from one body to another. Because of their devilish brains, they will, <clears throat> they will next be forced to accept the abominable life and particularly except uh, an abominable life, an abominable life, and practically never will be able to liberate themselves from the conditional uh, life of material existence. How this transmigration of the soul takes place is very clearly explained in this verse. <clears throat> Once again, the verse is, just as a person traveling on the road rests one foot on the ground and then lifts the other, or as a worm on a vegetable transfers itself to one leaf and then gives up the previous one. The conditioned soul takes shelter of another body and then gives up the one he had before. Om Jnanata Marinda Shyaganjana Shalakaya Chakshur Unmilitam Jina Tasmai Sri Gurave Namaha Sri Chaitanya Manobishtam Shtapitam Jina Bhutale Swayam Rupakadam Ayam Dadanti Swapadantikam Banchakopa Tarubyas Cha Kripas in the Bhavacha Patitanampa Vinebio Vaishnavabio Namo Namaha. So <clears throat> it's a very um very interesting verse. Srila uh, Prabhupada's purport. Um, Many of you were not around. I think Mother Suchari was around in the, the brainwash days. Uh, I'm going to talk about that first uh, because those of you do, who aren't familiar with those days may wonder, what is Prabhupada talking about here? Uh, there was a time 
in the mid-70s when uh, the world suddenly looked at the Hare Krishna movement and they saw all these people who had been hippies, you know, uh, into rock and roll and uh, sex, drugs, rock and roll, the whole thing, the whole long hairs, the whole thing. And then these people somehow or other started shaving their hair, taking a bath regularly, uh, following the four regulative principles, you see. So the world could not believe what it was seeing. And so uh, many people said, well, this Swami is brainwashing these people. So there was this whole process. People were, uh, some people started a movement against our movement. And I called it the, the brainwashing cult, the brainwashing Swami. And they actually interviewed Srila Prabhupada one time. Prabhupada was so innocent. They asked Prabhupada, uh, Swami, do you brainwash these young men and, and women? And Prabhupada said, Yes, these brains are con are contaminated when they come, so their brains must be washed. So he didn't understand this brainwash. So, uh, and they said, no, no, do you con uh, use mind control on them? And Prabhupada said, yes, one must control his mind. <laughs> it is necessary. And so... Uh, they, they suddenly realized, you know, that, that we don't think that maybe the Swami is the one that's doing this brainwashing, but somebody must be doing it. Somebody must be brainwashing these people. Otherwise, how could they give up their heinous life and uh, uh, put on the dress of a sadhu and shave their heads and uh, spend their time carrying on this movement? So uh, there were some... Uh, so-called ex-devotees that had come forward. I say so-called because I think they may have visited the temple at one time or another. But and they had they had accused us of uh, brainwashing. So uh, anyway, we're, there was a, uh, a conference at uh, one university up in uh, Hartford, Connecticut. What's the big university up there, Barry? Do you know that? Uh, it's not. It's not. Uh, huh? Yale? It might be. It might have been Yale. It was a long time ago, and I've slept since then. So, I, so I was chosen to as one of the <clears throat> one of the ones to go. Balavanta Prabhu and myself, and I think there was one other. We went to meet these people um, to uh, discuss with them. They were gonna. Uh, there was alleg uh, allegations that we were. Uh, brainwashers. So we went up there and we had this meeting. And there was this person there that claimed to be uh, an ex-devotee, but when we showed up, he, he kind of changed his, his tune. He didn't think we were going to come. And, <clears throat> and we realized that he might have visited the temple, but he never was. He never did actually join. And so we had this nice discussion with uh, some professors, and uh, everything came out very positive. <clears throat> I had called uh, George Harrison for his help. We needed some help from him. And his secretary said, he's traveling, but he will, uh, uh, you know, I'll give him your message. And then when I came back to the New York temple after our meeting, someone said, uh, oh, Jivananda, you had a call while you were gone. <clears throat> and I said, oh, who was it from? He said, uh, uh, George Harrison. You know, says, oh, so George called me back, but I missed him, so... <laughs> We didn't have cell phones in those days. You had to you had to be close to a landline, or you couldn't talk. So, uh, so anyway, that was the brainwash uh, things. If if any of you are wondering what what's Prabhupada talking about here, but uh, it, the um, the world was amazed uh, at what they had <clears throat> had witnessed uh, from the people becoming devotees of Krishna. So. <clears throat> And the mind is like that. When we see something that uh, uh, is out of uh, the norm, something gets out of our norm, out of our mental comfort, comfort zone, we start to think, oh, this isn't possible. You know, it's just like at one time, uh, so many people in the world thought that the world was flat. You see, we have these conceptions. Uh, and anybody who goes outside of the conception, if I have a, a large enough group of people who have the same conception, then we accept it as fact. And anyone who goes outside that 
uh, sphere of our knowledge is considered uh, not normal. Sometimes they're considered even crazy. Christopher Columbus was considered to be a little wacko by many people. It took him a lot of work to sell the idea that the, the world was round. And this was only, uh, what, 500 years ago? Yeah, like that. Yeah, so 500 years ago, there was a large <coughs> section of the planet that believed that the world was just a flat disk and that all planets were just flat disks, you see. So what happens is that as we transmigrate uh, uh, through time, uh, the scientists uh, come up with different ideas, and the world is implanted with a new concept. So that now the world has a different concept. And there are enough people that believe that, and anybody outside of that is considered wacko, you see. And that's the way it's been going on since the, the beginning of time in this world. It, 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 uh, it happens that way. So we can't be surprised uh, when... Uh, Someone, when we try to present the truth as presented to us by the Supreme Personality of Godhead, that others may say, well, no, that's just plain crazy, you see. Uh, to uh, give up uh, bad habits and become uh, uh, a purified person just like that, well, that's just not possible. There's got to be some brainwashing there. There's something you do. Some people used to come to the temple and, and they would... Uh, accuse us of putting something in the food. <clears throat> they would say, oh, this food is so good. Look how much, see how much they eat? Ah, that's what they do. There's something in the food, you know, that makes the people, uh, makes us into robots. So, <laughs> so uh, I don't know what it was they put in the food, but it was pretty good. <laughs> the food was good anyway. So, uh, so people are, uh, are like that. Uh, so likewise, um, the world is now taught in uh, uh, elementary school, not so much the people who homeschool. They don't have to teach um, this uh, Darwinian theory as fact. Darwinian theory is taught as a fact, although <laughs> uh, it's Darwin's theory. But they teach it as fact. I, don't, I, I never figured that out. Once I, once I put two and two together, how are, you, why, how are you selling a theory as fact? It's never been observed. It's never been proven, you see. So uh, that was sold uh, and still is sold as, as fact. Uh, those, there was this uh, very nice uh, movie that uh, my son was reminding me of <clears throat> called uh, Expelled. It uh, was a few years, a couple of years ago. And it was uh, people that have gotten together, scientists and uh, theologians as well, to produce a movie that, that, that is very convincing on the uh, platform of intelligent design. It's, very, it's based on scientific data. And have you seen that? Yeah, it's very good, isn't it? Ben Stein is the... Yeah, it's, and it's very, very well done, very professional and... and uh, uh, and they exposed in the movie that <clears throat> that uh, scientists who start running the numbers and start coming up with the idea that this Darwinian theory really can't work. These scientists, even though they may not be very uh, 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 religious, it's not a theological thing. You know, they're not getting pressure from their church. You know, they don't really particularly have so much faith. But the numbers that they run, the facts that they, they start to think, well, wait a minute, you know, there's got to be, this doesn't really work. There must be something else. So this intelligent design uh, is, is, is on the table again. Of course, they also like to entertain the concept that perhaps uh, visitors from outer space came and impregnated the planet. And, you know, you know uh, well, I'd like to see them prove that one, you know. <laughs> So, uh, anyway, but when the scientists start to deviate from the pool of knowledge that they have, uh, they're kind of excommunicated, you see. You're thinking outside the box. We have a society that says, think outside the box, but if you do, you're considered a little, uh, maybe a little crazy, you see. So, uh, they don't really mean it when they say think outside the box. 
So, uh, but we're outside the box. Uh, our movement is outside the box. And the reason why is, uh, and so are the theologians. The theologians uh, in this world are outside the box. People consider them. Why? Because they're thinking spiritually. Uh, spiritual knowledge and material knowledge is like adding oil to water. It's going to float on top. You can, uh, you ever see these, um, uh, there's this, um, um, salad dressings that you have, you know, oil and vinegar, and you can shake them up, you know, and as soon as you stop shaking, the oil goes back to the top, you know, so they don't mix. So this material uh, consciousness and spiritual consciousness just simply don't mix. So therefore, the materialists are always going to point to the transcendentalists and say, well, they're they're crazy, They're, they're wacko, you see. Um, we're just never going to mix with them and we're not going to agree just as a person traveling on the road rests one ground on the, on the other uh, rests one foot on the ground and then lifts the other so it says we're, the verse is talking about as one is walking it's just like we're stepping uh, from one body to the other <clears throat> We're given uh, one body depending on uh, our karma and our desires, you see. Uh, It says in the Srimad Bhagavatam that uh, this world was furnished by the Supreme Lord for us to try to act out our material desires. It's, it's, It's here for us to attempt to enjoy materially. So these bodies are the same situation. These bodies are here to give us... Uh, to al- allow us to attempt to enjoy separate from the Lord. You see, this was our desire. So um, karma ha- plays a very big part, uh, but karma is dictated mostly because of our desires. We desire something, and so we perform certain mental activity, which leads to certain physical activity. Uh, our desires in our mind are what govern uh, how we think, how we speak and how we act huh? uh, by contemplating, uh, contemplating the sense objects one develops attachment for them so wherever, where our mind goes uh, the, the body will, will follow it's just like um, uh, you know, in, in boxing they teach that you know, wherever the head goes the body has to go you know, so the mind is like where the mind goes the body will follow if the mind dwells, uh, dwells there. So it's the intense desire uh, that really drives us to our next body. You see, well, we're, we're, so Srila Prabhupada has pointed out there are 8,400,000 different species of life in the material world. So therefore, there are 8,400,000 different desires that we can have. Now, this may seem a little complicated, but we can see, and I've used this uh, example uh, many times before. It's a little crude, but it's uh, but it's truthful. Uh, you know, the, someone in the human body that has uh, uh, too much sex desire, if they're governed, if their thoughts are governed by sex desire, uh, this human body is not a very good vehicle for carrying out this uh, intense sex desire. You see, there are bodies that work much much better than a human body. Actually, the human body is not a very good form to have for enjoyment. You know, the human body is a good body to think. Uh, other, other bodies are not uh, thinkers. They're more doers, you see. Uh, the pigeon, for instance, uh, uh, is, a, is a much better uh, body to have for one who is uh, entrenched in sex life. Because the pigeon can have sex uh, every 10 minutes. You see, the pigeon doesn't have to take the other, he doesn't have to take the female pigeon out to, for dinner. He doesn't have to buy her a ring. Where would they put a ring anyway? That, I guess on their claw. You know, so he doesn't have to, doesn't have to make any promises. You know, he doesn't have to, there's no palimony. He just flies off and gets another pigeon. And there's lots of them. So he goes from pigeon to pigeon, stops and eats for a while to keep up his strength, and uh, pigeon to pigeon, 
They don't have to get a room. They don't have to do anything. You see, he just they just keep on going. And then he he uh, eats in between, sleeps some. You see, it's, it's an ideal situation for one who has that desire. If that's his chief desire, it's a it's a perfect situation. The human body is not very good for that. You can see how it causes great distress if someone is. Uh, 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 very much centered on sex life, and they're in a human body. There's so much distress, you see. Uh, it's still, in our society, uh, those who are considered first-class people, the, the, all, all theologians, I believe, in, in the world, <clears throat> believe that uh, there, should no be, there should be no sex between unmarried partners, you see. Uh, anyone, any religion that has some class, everyone that we know of, that's still the basis. Now that is eroding quickly. However, it's considered uh, uh, <clears throat> first-class human activity to take a mate and stay with that, with, uh, with that one. Uh, so no, no sexual intercourse outside of uh, wedlock, you see. Well, that really doesn't, uh, if you're going to be, if you're going to have any type of class as a human being, then this idea of having uh, unlimited sex life is just completely out the door. So it's not. This human body is not a good body for that. Uh, what is the human body good for? The human body has a mental capacity that allows us to inquire. For the first time of all the 8,400,000, actually there are 400,000 species of humanoid. Uh, so uh, once after 8 million births we get into the human uh, one of the 400,000s of humans. Uh, many times people say, yes, but there's not 400,000 species of human on the planet. So therefore, there are humans on other planets. So, uh, but the Bhagavatam discusses this. <clears throat> so when we get into the human uh, form, it, for, the la for the first time ever, after, through our journey of 8 million uh, species, we can start to inquire, who am I? Uh, what is the nature of uh, uh, this world that I'm in? What is my relationship to it? What, what do I do to better myself? Is there a God? Where is the God? What does God want? You see, uh, until we get the human form of life, we're not uh, able, we don't have mental capacity nor uh, do we care because we're distracted. We're distracted by eating, sleeping, mating, and defending. Uh, those are the four activities of the conditioned souls in the material world. Uh, the human being has to do those things, but he, do, he's, he can actually think above them. The dog is so uh, distracted in his eating, mating, uh, sleeping, and defending modes that he can't think about, uh, oh, is there a God? What should I do? You know... Uh, you'll never see a dog uh, bowing down to the deities or offering arti, picking a flower for the Lord. You know, they don't do like that. They don't think. See, they're only considered in eating, sleeping, mating, defending. That's it. So, uh, uh, for the first time, when one becomes a human, he can actually examine himself. Uh, what is my origin? What is my destination? Uh, all these things, you see. Um, if we're in a circle of people who believe that the, the world is flat, uh, then some of these people, uh, back in the 70s anyway especially, uh, people wouldn't, uh, you were considered abnormal if you believed in reincarnation, you see. Uh, however, uh, I was talking with someone just recently, I don't remember who, but I remember we, I used to discuss with people and they would say, oh, I don't believe in reincarnation. I'd say, okay, well, what do you think of transmigration of the soul? Oh, now that sounds interesting. Yeah, now tell me more about that. You know, so <laughs> they're programmed. Uh, programmed. Uh, I was programmed when I first heard of the reincarnation uh, concept. I was in fifth grade, and the teacher was saying, uh, "Boy, the people in India—they're so stupid. They believe that they're they're reincarnated." Uh, you don't believe you were ever an animal, do you, children? And we all said, no, Miss Adams, we didn't think, we don't believe that. 
you know, those people in India, they're stupid, aren't they? Yes, they're so stupid. So, you know, we were programmed that, boy, if you think they, they won't eat a cow because they think that they were a cow one time. You don't think you were ever a cow, do you, children? No, you know. So it's like programmed into it. We weren't homeschooled, you know. <laughs> I might have got the same thing if I had been homeschooled from, by my parents. So. But... Um, but it was uh, so. But when I first encountered someone who started talking about reincarnation, the uh, the old memory that was implanted from school from childhood just immediately sprung. Wow, that's ridiculous. Well, then I discussed it. As I discussed it, as I started using intellect, I started to think, what else makes any sense? Really, you know, it doesn't really. So I can remember talking with people, as I said, and I would say, uh, oh, you don't believe in reincarnation. Well, uh, what are your feelings on transmi transmigration of the soul? And then, uh, what's that? And then you can tell them, well, it means, you know, just as, we're, as the verse says. Uh, and they say, well, no, that sounds interesting. So you just don't call it reincarnation. You call it something else. And many people. And now there's a, a, a large uh, segment of the population. I think the last number that I saw was um, 30%, 30% of the population uh, either believe in reincarnation or accept it as a, 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 a very possible, you see. So in the, in the 70s, that was probably 2%. But we were brainwashed wackos. And we were out of the box at the time. So, uh, Srila Prabhupada says something here. Um, oh, I wanted to talk about the subtle body. I don't think we spend enough time talking about the subtle body. Uh, at the time of death, according to his, men, uh, his mental condition, the living being is carried by the subtle body consisting of mind, intelligence, and ego to another gross body. So, uh, the um, subtle body of mind, intelligence, and false ego is what actually car carries us. The mind, intelligence, and false ego accompany the soul from body to body. That's mentioned all through the Shastras. So, at the time of death, the mind, intelligence, false ego, and the soul are transmigrated to another uh, another body. That's why we can understand, uh, and the existence of the soul seems so uh, easy to prove, but I'll get into that another time. You can see that there's a person. The mind and the intelligence and the false ego create a personality, you see. It's a, it's a way of acting that the individual might have, <clears throat> you see. It's... Uh, the, the false ego is the uh, personality that I want to display. Uh, I, it's the image that I want you to see me as. I have a, a picture in my head of how I want the world to see me. And I'm, and I'm trying to act that out and, and talk in such a way and uh, uh, be in such a way that you see me the way I see my, my, the picture of myself. That's false ego. Uh, false ego uh, is anything uh, other than when you say the words I am, if it doesn't end in the words servant of the supreme personality of Godhead, then that's false ego, you see. So uh, when one simply wants to be uh, the servant of the, the supreme Lord or servant of his servants, <clears throat> then it's not false. It's true. It's what we are. It's the identity of the living entity. But we can analyze in the material world as we meet people. We can see so many times, most of the time, uh, much of the time, it's very evident. You can see because of the clothing that people wear, the, you know, something that says something. You know, like uh, you know, I used to use the example of uh, Led Zeppelin. I don't know if they're still around. Are they? People used to wear a Led Zeppelin t-shirt, you know. And they're trying to show you, I'm a Led Zeppelin man, you know. Or, uh, you know, some other statement on a t-shirt to let you know uh, 
I can remember when they didn't put things on T-shirts. It was They were just T-shirts. But then all of a sudden, they started putting things on T-shirts so you could express yourself. People express themselves in the cars that they drive and the clothes that they wear. I've, uh, and then it's, a, it's, a, it's my way of showing you who I am and what I'm all about. Uh, and then there's, there's more fine points about their false ego that they build. I want you to know the kind of music that I listen to and the kind of wine that I like and, the, and this. And now we have Facebook so people can put, this is who I am, you know. Uh, these are the musics that I like and these are the books that I read and, you know. They probably some of them put their you know their their wine choice on there and and uh, so I want you to know I, I, I'm trying to I, I want you to know all about me uh, and where it says uh, on this Facebook thing about me I think the devotee should say it's it's not about me <laughs> no. so this is false ego we find ourselves very interesting you see. Uh, which is kind of unusual once we think about it because <clears throat> we already know all about ourselves. Uh, what we don't know about is uh, each other. Uh, if we start, when, when we become do- devotees of Krishna, we start to be inquisitive of these living entities that we're associating with, all these people that are around us, not just the ones who come to our particular temple or our particular faith, but uh, although they are very interesting, but the people that we meet, uh, all living entities, we wonder, you know, who are these people? You see, well, suddenly we start to see there's a big picture going on here. Krishna is having some relationship with unlimited living entities. Sometimes when I'm walking in, in the park, uh, I'll see a squirrel or a bird. You know, a bird will come, and, and I can't help but think, who are you? You know, you've come to hear the holy name. I'm chanting Hare Krishna. And I th- I'm thinking, wow, you know, I'm, at least for this brief moment, I'm part of maybe Krishna's plan. You know, here I'm walking, I'm chanting, and then this bird comes and sits. And sometimes they're very unusual. They just come and they, it happens very often. They'll come, they get very close and they look at you. You know, and I chant to the bird a little bit, and they'll look at me like, what are you, crazy? Have you been brainwashed? You know, no, I've not been brainwashed, you silly bird. Now get out of here. You know? No, I just chant to the bird a little bit, and it'll fly away, you see. Uh, see, we have to wonder, who are these living entities? Who are these? It's, so, it's, very, <clears throat> it's very interesting, so much more interesting than ourselves. We already know that story. How many times can you read a book, you know, not, other than a, a spiritual book, but like a, a novel, how many times can you read it before you think, enough? You know, we can't change our story. We know our story. We can't go back and change it unless we want to be uh, mad and tr- you know, change what we think actually happened in our life. We know what's happened, okay? So enough of it. No. Now, what about you? And what about you? And as we find out about other people, we find that it's very interesting, you see? We find that Krishna thinks, we can realize, Krishna believes, Krishna thinks that uh, all these living entities are very interesting. Every living entity is favorite of Krishna. There's one of Krishna's favorites right there, Vinodhubhu, you see. Uh, Every living entity, because God is uh, omnipotent, everyone can be his favorite at the same time. I know we keep saying this over and over, but we've got to say this so that we... It gets through. <clears throat> we need to repeat it. Every living entity is the favorite of God. His favorite son or daughter, whatever, you see. So if God is so interested in this person, shouldn't I find a tiny bit of interest, you see? And someone could argue, yes, but he's interested in you too. But I already know about me. You know, this is getting very boring when I start thinking about me, you see. And I don't really think it's that interesting, so I don't need to, I don't need, really need to tell that many people. Well, gee whiz, well, I started out as a child, I was, uh, I, you know, it's, it's simply not interesting. But it's very interesting to learn about others, you see. 
uh, and learn about their journey, especially those that we encounter that are having a spiritual journey. This is very interesting. Uh, we can learn a great deal from them that will help us as they, uh, uh, as they go through along on their spiritual journey. So I think I can slow down right now and see if there's any comments or questions. Yes, Mataji? Um, mind, knowledge, and false ego. When we sleep, at the time we're sleeping, when our mind, knowledge, and ego leave our body, and that's where we have the opportunity to um, dream. Mm. That's a very nice way to um, explain about some of that, because that's when we really don't think much about it. And it's a good example, like how we can't be out of our bodies. <clears throat> that's my opinion. Hmm. The, 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 the soul, are you saying? The subtle soul? Mine. Knowledge and false ego. It's has when we were sleeping and we are dreaming, having nightmares, or sometimes when we don't, we cannot wake up. We we know we're there, but yeah. we cannot move. We cannot scream. We cannot do anything. Yeah. So. Yeah, that uh, the living entity's ability to leave the body has been pretty much proven. Uh, uh, again, my son was telling me about a National Geographic uh, program that uh, that I finally got to watch. A few nights ago, I got to watch it. And uh, it's about um, uh, medical science. It's natural, National Geographic, so they're, you know, they're pretty believable, to, you know. And they're saying they interviewed, uh, excuse me, interviewed many, many doctors, doctors that perform... Uh, heart surgery I was thinking of you when I heard about this and they were saying how they take uh, sometimes for open heart surgery they actually kill the heart they inject the same uh, uh, chemical that they use for lethal injections to stop the heart they drain all the blood out of the body and then they do whatever they need and then they put it all back together and it starts working again. They have no idea how this works. You know, these the doctors that were uh, world-renowned heart surgeons, and uh, the interviewer was saying, how does this work? And he said, I don't know. I have no idea what's going on here. Because the body, what's happened over, the, the, over many years, uh, you know, the... Uh, the bar of knowledge keeps being raised. So what was considered legally dead years ago is not the same. The, the definition of death, the, the name of this program was called the moment of death. And they, it's, they're, they're finding it difficult to determine when actually does the soul leave. And they're, 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 they're coming very close to recognizing the existence of the soul only because, and these people are not theologians at all, but they're coming there only because, what else is there? What's, what else could possibly be going on here? You know, they were actually alluding to that. They're not ready to say, yes, there is a soul, but what else could this be? You know, because this body uh, uh, during surgery is legally dead. It's dead. The heart's not beating. You know, it's laying there. It's open up. It's, the blood's gone. You know, so depending on how many decades you go back, that body would have been legally dead. It would have been a cadaver. But uh, the scientists are actually saying we can't really tell. The only way we can tell truly when a body is dead is when it starts to decay. And back in the um, 1700s, they used to, they, they, for a while, they had uh, places, because there were so many people that were buried alive, you know, they, they thought they were dead and they would bury them. And when they would go to move the uh, cemetery to build on, 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 they would find that there were scratches on the inside where people had scratched. 
So they, they started putting the, uh, the dead bodies in a, in a place, a building, you know, and let them stay there for a week or so to see if they, and, and tie a, a bell, a string around their toe with their bell, you know, and to see if anybody would uh, would wake up or whatever. Because so, they, they realized we just can't tell. So now here we are in modern days and we have all this uh, equipment and uh, we're still having a difficult time telling when the body is dead, you see. The body is dead when the soul leaves. When the soul decides, see you, I'm gone, you see. Uh, and what we're told here in this verse is the body leaves when there's another body that's already, it's not like, uh, well, it just, it just leaves. Although there, uh, well, we can get into that another time. But the, when there's a, another body, uh, then the soul leaves. It's just like the, the worm going from one leaf of a vegetable to another. It, it gives up this one and it takes on the other. It's building. What, what, what we're doing, another point I wanted to make is we're building our next body right now. Uh, every living entity, except for the animals. The animals are are on a, they're like on a ladder. They take the next body up. It's a stepping stone for them. Now, the animals don't incur any karma. You know, if a tiger jumps out of the forest and kills you and eats you, uh, he doesn't have to suffer any karma. You're, you're tiger food, you see. I mean, we just are. We don't have to try. Nothing, we don't have to, you know, try to be appetizing or anything like that. The tiger just sees you and he thinks, hmm. <laughs> you know, I travel through Alaska and I, there's a lot of things up, up there that, that want to eat humans, you know, so we're on the menu. So, so they don't get any bad karma for doing that. That's what they eat. So, uh, or like a shark, you know, if a shark sees you in the water, he thinks, oh, thank you, my dear Lord, for this wonderful meal. You know. <laughs> so, uh, so, but the human being, um, he's building his body in our desires. Uh, this ego that we're trying to build, uh, it, it goes with us. This false ego goes with us from birth to birth. So we've got a long time to build it. We can work on it and polish it, you know, this picture that we want the world to see us as, you know, a very intelligent or very um, um, sophisticated or in some way, you see. So uh, out of fear, we're building this body because we don't, we don't really know who we are and we're afraid that someone's going to find out. I don't really know who I am. I'm not speaking to, to devotees, people who are God conscious, people are on the path uh, to God, the servants of God. But to the, to the general person, if they're not believe, believers of God, if they're not followers, uh, then they're kind of, they're, there's, there's some sort of a void. They really don't know who they are, you see. There's that question mark. You can tell people who are, who are religious, they don't have that wonder of, well, what's life all about? You know, the rest of the world seems, well, you, don't, you, you just really don't know. Well, you know, to those who are theistic, well, no, we know. We know, we know. And then they say, well, no, we just have faith. Well, no, faith turns into knowing, as we've said before. You know, it's not that we just have faith. No, we know, you see. So but the, the typical living entity, the typical human, is building our next identity, our next uh, body. It'll be there ready for us, just like when we wear out our old car. We can go to the dealership. There's going to be a brand new one sitting there. And, you know, you can go and in special order your car, have it the color you want and the size you want, and the interior and the tires, the engine, everything. You see, and that's what we're doing. We're special ordering our next identity right now through our desires. You see, and the Lord will allow us to take up this identity that we desire because we think that that'll make us happy, you see. Although when we decide, my dear Lord, I simply want to be your servant, then he says, oh, okay, then that'll be your next identity. Oh, wait a minute, that's your true identity. So you get your true spiritual body back, you see. 
No more false ego. So what we're doing as we per, uh, perform this devotional service is we're dissolving the false ego. We're dissolving the false, uh, excuse me, we're dissolving the uh, subtle body. Subtle body dissolves. The mind, intelligence, and false ego. Now some people say, well, that, you mean your te- my intelligence is dissolving? Uh, spiritual intelligence is, is growing. Uh, the material intelligence is, is dissolving. It's not needed. Material intelligence is no longer needed after this body for the one who's going back to Godhead. You see, you don't know how to. You don't need to know how to fix a computer in uh, Goloka Vrindavan. It's not necessary. You see, in the kingdom of God, it's just so. Uh, and you're a doctor, aren't you? So you don't know how to be. You don't need to know how to be a doctor. There, you see. So. It's nice that you know this knowledge now, but you won't need it when you go back to Godhead. You see. So the mind, intelligence, false ego will dissolve. So therefore, there's not a vehicle. You can see how, how it works. There's not a vehicle to take you to your next body. That uh, the, the subtle body is, is the vehicle used tra- to transport, uh, transport you to the kingdom of Yamaraj and on to your next body. But that will dissolve. Oh, and the, and the, the living entity goes back to the spiritual world, back to the, their spiritual body, you see. Actually, you, you, you are a spiritual body. You just get to realize it again. So, Are there any more questions or comments? Yes, Barry Prabhu? I probably won't even like that my voice is here. I think you rightly pointed out to you that um, in the West, Conflict is not so much between religion and science as it is between uh, religion and philosophy of nonsense. The idea that the material universe is is the sum total of reality. Do you have a theory as to why so many uh, in in academia and other areas tend to have an agenda of promoting a theory of naturalism rather than being open to the idea that there's something beyond the material universe? Yes, uh, and that's a good question. Thank you for that. Uh, That's a good train of thought. Uh, Basically because they're atheistic. Uh, But the, the nature of the atheistic mind is let me look at uh, the matter. Let me examine matter and try to find uh, something about my origin, something that I can find here. Now, why do we do that? Because I really don't want to accept this uh, knowledge that, they're, that the theologians are giving me for, for whatever reason. Maybe when they were a child, they didn't like the pastor in their church. You know, maybe uh, the, the principal of the school was uh, uh, a, a, a great, was very theistic, and he used to spank me. So I don't like people like that. You know, I don't know how what it is, but we can see in the atheistic mind. Uh, I remember when I was in business, there were many people who would just kind of give you a wink and a nod. That you know, when people would talk about God, it's kind of like, yeah, sure, uh huh. You know, like right. So it's considered lower class knowledge to be on the level. Uh, it's it's kind of like you would consider someone who is uh, mentally handicapped. You know, those who are theologians, those who are re- realistic and following the path of God, uh, well, they're just not the kind of thinkers we are. You know, they're dogmatic, they're, uh, they're controlled, they're brainwashed. You know, they're not thinking for themselves. They're not free thinkers. They're, they have no sophistication. I'm so sophisticated. I'm this, I'm that. So they, there, is, there has been a tremendous effort by the atheistic uh, cause. We find in the material world there are so many causes. And people will give their lives for their causes. <clears throat> and there are many atheists. There's this one so-called comedian, Bill Maher, who's given his life to, uh, to being an atheist. 
you know, it, it, I think it helps him make money. But he's, I mean, he's saying uh, very derogatory things about, he thinks anybody who, is, who follows the path of any kind of God consciousness is just, you know, a couple of sandwiches shy of a picnic. You know, you're just mentally ill. So uh, there, is, there are so many people, uh, and what I found out by watching this, uh, uh, this movie about intelligent design is that there's a growing number of people who are trying to pr- prove that there was an intelligent designer in, the, in this world. But there's enough of the atheistic uh, cr- uh, group that they're trying to hold them down. There's a war, you know, it's kind of like this subtle war that's going on. So I, th- I think it's the, the atheistic nature of the scientist. Um, perhaps he becomes interested in science. I'm not really sure. But he becomes interested in science because he's looking for some answer other than God. You know, uh, all right, you've got the God answer. I know that's there. Well, let me see if there's something else. Uh, it's kind of the the uh, it's kind of the nature of the living entity. Uh, the living entity is looking for something other than God. We're, that's why we come to this material world. You see, we're looking for something other than Him. We don't come here to be His loyal servants. You know, we didn't have to leave the kingdom of God and come here to do that. But we came here to look for some way of enjoying uh, outside of the supreme, you see. And God is so kind that he says, all right, I'll give you a world that you can go wander around in and try. You can try as hard as you like, and I'll provide for you. And, uh, and when you get a taste of this world and finally you say, yeah, there's really no enjoyment away from God. Then you develop God consciousness, you know, then you become a theologian, you see. But until the living entity gets that mindset that, you know, I've tried it all and I just really, I, I, I want to pursue the Supreme Lord. You know, I want to learn about him. Until he gets like that, he has a tendency to be a little atheistic. The, the, the atheists uh, are greater in number than we think. There are many people who, who uh, pretend to be theistic. They, I'm not saying they go to church, you know, but they may call themselves Christians or Muslim or Hindu. Yeah, but they're not very, you know, they're not really sold on the idea of God. Uh, I remember when uh, many, many, many years ago I was getting a job in, uh, uh, as a life, in, in life insurance, and uh, I asked this um, this person that was going to be my supervisor, where will I find contacts? And he said, oh, well, do you, do you belong to a church? And I'm thinking, well, I, yeah, but I didn't want to. In those days, we had to keep things. You were a Hare Krishna. You had to be a closet Krishna. You couldn't let anybody know you were a Hare Krishna. You know, so I, I said, well, no, I'm not. You know, he said, well, just join a church. You know, there's hundreds of prospects there. He said, that's what I do. I'm a member of the such-and-such First Baptist Church of Knoxville, Tennessee, you know. And I thought, ah, that kind of had a bad taste. So, uh, you know, did he believe in God enough? You know, he's, am I really pursuing God? Oh, no way, you know. So, uh, and I think he actually went to church occasionally. But I, I got to know him later on. He, he was very atheistic. He, was, he wasn't sold on the idea. He didn't feel that there was any proof that there even was a God. But uh, probably better to pursue this than not. You know, let me err this way. Um, and besides, it's, there's nice people. They have nice dinners every Sunday, and there's lots of prospects there. You know, so. Uh, but I, I don't know if I answer your question. I think, um, I think, that it's the nature of the atheistic mind, and and that's uh, they're trying to look for something other than God. That's their mission. Uh, one of them would feel like I'll get something better than the Nobel Prize once I prove that there is no God. You know, I'll go down in history books. I'll be famous. 
And I think I'm just that close to it. Does that make any sense? That's a. You know, it's, it's, it's really interesting to me that science literally means knowledge. Right. And so, if you want a comprehensive worldview, it seems like that you want to include every area of investigation rather than just limiting it to the material universe. Exactly. Assuming, yeah. You know, going into the predisposition side, well, that's by definition, that's all the way. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. No. Yeah. No, they really have a dog in there. Yeah. That's a really good point. Are, are we hiring the scientists to disprove the existence of God? No, we're hiring you to get medicines. You know, we're you know uh, for for much other. Th- that's not even on the list of things that we want you guys to do. You see, but I I I, I agree 100 percent with that statement. It's it's more of a, a, a situation of will than of intellect. Because there's not one shred of evidence. There's not even a little tiny piece. And, uh, and another thing we can observe is the theologians, we're not going out of our way to try to prove that there is a God. They're going out of their way to disprove. But, you know, what do we do? We're not doing any research to, to prove that there's a God. You know, I mean, we're... Faith turns into knowing. You know, it's just like we we know it's cold outside right now. I don't know how I can prove that to you, except hey, let's go. Let's go. I'll take you out there. You see, with yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's self-evidence in creation. So like you say, isn't the onus always on the one trying to disprove Right, right. So maybe that, maybe that kind of accounts for the idea that there's this, there's this uh, uh, agenda. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's atheistic uh, uh, by nature, and we, we see that that's kind of like... Uh, the living entity has a tendency to, to be that way when we come to this material world because we're heading away from God. We're, that, that's our, 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 um, the direction we're traveling. We're not heading towards him. You know, we're, we're heading away. What was it, Mother Linda, you said that you make this... Uh, uh, what was, um, she told me something the other day. Um, if you feel that... Right, right. If you feel that God is far away, guess who moved? Well, it wasn't him. It was us. So we're, our direction is away from him. So now I find myself a scientist, 
and I'm going to use whatever I can concoct to continue on my way away from him. And then there are some people who say, well, no, no, hold it. I want to turn around. I want to head back. You know, and they can actually see the target. You know, I'm going towards God. And, well, wait a minute. You know, I want to, hold on. You know, you're going towards this God guy. Well, I'm going to prove to you that he's not there. Uh, you know. I think my, Motherland. Yeah, yeah I just had a quick comment um, from one of our PhDs and, and initiating spiritual masters. Two things that I heard in this regard. One was Srila Prabhupada commented on it, and he said that the reason that scientists and intellectuals move away from God is there isn't a scientific process to prove God's existence, mm. that most scriptures are simply moral codes, and that the, the Srimad Bhagavatam in this Vedic literature gives a scientific process, and it's actually revealed scripture. So he made a difference. And recently I had a conversation with a physicist, uh, Professor Dean, for a department, and, um, and he was saying that that was the reason he moved away from it. And even though he was a Sanskrit scholar, Bengali scholar, I mean, highly religious person, his, his parents grew up in Navadweep near Lord Chaitanya's birthplace, but he said that it wasn't intellectually satisfying to him. So Prabhupada worked very tirelessly to create all of this literature that gives a scientific process for actually revealing God, and that satisfies the intellect. And then on the other hand, I heard a, an example where um, uh, Hridai Nandamaraj gave this point called the lusty boy theory. And he said that just like a lusty boy who sees a beautiful woman in the street, desires to enjoy that woman and in, their, in his mind begins to concoct, well, she has no husband, she has no father, that she's just meant for my enjoyment. He said, so in the same way when we misidentify with the senses and the body with the false ego, then we develop this idea that everything should be for my enjoyment. And so consequently, we um, start to try to deny that that beautiful woman has a connection with anyone other than me, than my personal enjoyment. So he called it the lusty boy theory. Yeah. But it comes down to basic you know, selfish enjoyment yeah. that motivates. Not only that, but she's attracted to me. Well, how do you know? Well, she looked at me. I saw her. She looked right at me. There was eye contact. That's proof that she's very interested. Yes, Mother Linda? Talking with my professor, I had to be careful because my grade, you know, but I would try to talk with him about religion or God or whatever, and he was very irreligious. He was a PhD, and he's a big-time scientist. He's just a poster child for Poindexter. I mean, he was. He was probably in his early 60s, and so he'd been doing this for a while. What he kept telling me, because I would hang around after class, and you know me, you have to ask the questions, and tiptoeing around him so I didn't lose points on my grade if he got upset with me but um, he kept telling me that well you can't compare religion and science because they're asking different questions but he never could explain to me how it was asking different questions but that's how he had settled it in his mind that God had nothing to do with science because religion asks questions that science is not asking and vice versa but I never really got anywhere with him but that was, that was his theory that they had nothing in common well, but see, you know, the unfortunate atheists, they don't realize that, first of all, they don't spend much meditation thinking about this, this personality, God, you know. So they don't think, well, everything, and they can't accept that everything came from God. So science came from God. He gave us science. He gave us knowledge. He gave us the brain to decipher you know, to figure, oh, okay, if I add this chemical to that chemical, I get this reaction. Or, you know, he gave us the mm -hmm. ability, the intelligence, the ingredients. He, it all, it's all coming from him. But it's, it's we who misuse it. We misuse it for our own particular gain, you see. Uh, and I, I think, as, as Barry said, you know, there's a will there. And I think there might even be a profit motive. I think you could put dollars attached to that, isn't it? If you're a scientist, if I'm the first guy to really get rid of this God character once and for all, just see my fame, my fortune, fame, profit, 
adoration, distinction, you see. These are the, um, the motivating factors for people in the material world. Fame, profit, adoration, distinction. Boy, that, you'd get all of that if you could just do that, you see. So there is a will here. There's the, the, uh, uh, it's not by intellect. It's not like, well, you know, I'm, I've added all the numbers up and it's coming out this way. There's, there is... Uh, uh, what's the you know there is uh, uh, the the will is going that way because there is uh, a great reward for them if they can prove it. First of all, I don't believe in God, and if I can if I can prove it, then boy, look at the rewards. Did you have a question for me? Modern science is totally rooted in the idea that any result, any process should be perceivable by the senses. Uh-huh. Unless you can measure it, unless you can see it and re- record it, you cannot prove it. Yeah. In that very point, they're, they're disproving the fact that they're free thinkers because anything outside the perception of the senses would be beyond their thought. So they're not free thinkers anymore hmm. if they're limited by their senses. He's a scientist. Yeah. So that's how they that's how they think, huh? Yeah. So and moreover the fact that most academia are not interested in the god could probably because they're interested in maintaining their status as status as academia. Yeah, because oh. they're, they're they spend most of the time just getting enough money to stay in the position, enough pu- publications, enough student, uh, you know, lead, uh, students under their team. Right. They're so, I mean, why would they care about real science, real inquiry, if their entire process of living is directed towards just existing in academia? Or, you know, because if you go from academia to industry, your value is decreased, or vice versa. So it, there's a much greater threat than a reward. I mean, they're, they're perceiving this personal threat, that if I don't believe uh, in God, I'm... I'm you know, one of the flock. <laughs> hmm. Right. 